0: birdshot podcast is presented by onyx hunt final rise and upland gun company on this episode of the show we mix in plenty of quail hunting and shotgun conversation with randy schultz thanks for tuning in to episode number 206 All right, welcome back to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. We've got a great conversation coming up with Randy Schultz in just a moment, but first I'd like to thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast, those of you out there making voluntary contributions in support of the show, and for that, I thank you. All Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast are eligible for monthly giveaways, bonus content, exclusive discounts, and we set everybody up with a little welcome pack, including some Birdshot Podcast canned coolers and stickers. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot where you can also still for a limited time see the grouse hunting video I contributed on from Nick Adair at the Gundog at Yourself podcast that is still only viewable for patrons of the Birdshot podcast and the GDIY podcast until next month sometime. Then everybody out there will have a chance to see it. So just a heads up for Patreon patrons of the show. See it early there. And again, thank you to Patreon patrons of the show. All right. Don't forget, leave a rating, leave a review subscribe to and follow the show also things you can do just take a moment and support the bird chat podcast so thanks for that as well all right what else do i got for reminders use the promo code bsp20 save 20 percent on your onyx hunt subscription and pheasant fest upcoming next month as i mentioned on the last couple episodes i will be there helping out mainly in the upland gun company booth We're going to have a nice display there. I just got some more photos from Italy this morning. I know from talking to a lot of you, there are some people excited to finally get a chance to see the guns from RFM, Upland Gun Company, at the show next month. So we're looking forward to that, and we're looking forward to connecting with everybody there. Be sure to stop by the Upland Gun Company booth and say hi if you are going to be at Pheasant Fest in Minneapolis next month. All right, quick intro. Let's jump into it. Let's get into today's conversation with Randy Schultz. You may know Randy from one of the multiple avenues of content he puts out, including his two books, Endless October and Endless October Season 2. He's got a YouTube channel, a podcast, a website, all under the umbrella of A Bird Hunter's Thoughts. I will include links to all of those in the show notes for you to check out. And Randy and I caught up earlier this week, discussed a number of topics, including quail hunting, Randy's bird dogs. Nastra events, shotguns, and more. I had a blast talking to Randy. I think you'll enjoy this one. Happy Friday, everybody. Have a great weekend. And let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Birdshot Podcast, Randy Schultz. Got to make sure I got a full cup of coffee here. Are you a coffee drinker, Randy?
1: Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't met too many bird hunters that are not coffee drinkers.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that is, but it's true. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah it's one of those things. Well, welcome to the Bird Shot Podcast. I I will you won't know this, but I'm I want to say you're kind of a long overdue guest. You've been you've been suggested to me a number of times and you've kind of been in the back of my mind. I've seen some of your YouTube videos and I have yet to read Either of your books, but so shame on me. But I gotta we'll, we'll ask you about those today. But I know that I believe it was Sarah Deline Gomes. I think she she was the first one to ever bring you to my attention, and uh, so we'll credit her for suggesting you to be on the show. But thanks for joining us today, Randy.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I know Sarah really well. I'll have to tell her thank you as well.
0: Yeah, she said some. I it was this was years ago, but I just I never forgot. She had very kind words. She said you were an interesting guy. You were an airline pilot. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. I was. Okay. And, um, uh, yep. Flew for, flew for a major airline. I flew, uh, for the Navy first and then, okay. uh, got up the Navy and then flew for Delta. Mm-hmm.
0: Gotcha. All right. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I remember all that from a, a quick little message exchange with Sarah. So <laughs> thanks to Sarah for that, but you're back home. I know you were, you were just out on a hunting trip. What's the status of Randy's hunting season? Is it over, uh, on hiatus? What's going on, Randy?
1: Yeah, sad to say. <laughs> <laughs> Over, but only because there's nothing open. Yeah, um, yeah. I had, uh, uh, I just got back from New Mexico and Arizona hunting quail. Okay. And uh, Merns, gambles, and blue quail. Um, and it was just, it was a great trip, uh, Arizona. In fact, Arizona's open for another week or two. Okay. I think, to, I'm not sure, but sometimes in February, but they, uh, they've got a, yeah great year this year, and so we we uh, had fun and um but I started out in september I went in October, November, I took December off to get some work done on my back mm. and uh, went again in January, so that That's was my. I usually go on five trips a year,
0: yeah, what's going on with the back if you don't mind me
1: asking seventy two years of hard living I think <laughs> is Probably sum it up in a night nutshell. There, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I was having trouble. You know, uh, it was just sore and achy, and yeah. uh, then I started having some nerve problems in my legs. And I said, now nah, it's getting serious. And yeah, went to see a doc. We did the MRI thing. It was just and he said, when did you crush your disc? And I said, oh, your the bone, the vertebra. Yeah. And I said, I didn't know I did. And he said, well, you've done it more than once. And I said, well, it must have been a good time, but I don't remember what happened. <laughs> I didn't eject out of an airplane. I didn't. You know. so Jeez. I was talking to my buddy, who's a retired military pilot. That I go stay with out in Tucson, and he he said that you know, Randy, you're pulling six G's. You're looking over your shoulder. You're right. reaching with your arms and, and doing this, you know, for a half hour at a time, and on and off and on and off. It's it's a wonder more of us aren't in wheelchairs. So yeah, that's probably my. How
0: are the how are the ergonomics in those old? navy jets
1: well they were they weren't real good because you had to always plan on ejecting so mm. you had you couldn't on a lot of cushion um because when that ejection seat takes off you know if you're a quarter of an inch out of your seat that ejection seat will break both your legs kind of so.
0: like if you were if you were pulling up on a bird and you held the shotgun a quarter inch off your shoulder that wouldn't be good right
1: yeah we all know what that feels like <laughs> <laughs>
0: unfortunately yeah <laughs>
1: Or you don't get it right up to your shoulder and you end up whacking yourself in the chest.
0: Exactly. The yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's well. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully that improves for you. The the reason I ask is I've been I'm 37, so quite a bit quite a bit younger than you, Randy. But I'm starting to feel some of those aches and pains myself, and I've been paying attention to my back a little bit more lately. Just you know, it's I would consider it minor, but one of those things that. It's a, and there's there's seems to be quite a bit of mystery, you know, with the back and spine and how that whole chain can kind of, it can play tricks on you and the rest of your body, really.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, it can go, uh, when it, you'll think it's something else and it's all in your back.
0: All right. the nerves
1: run through. Everything right. below the waist to go through to your back. I mean, it's just amazing what, you know, up through the top. And, and uh, so, you know, a couple of epidurals and. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's gonna happen. It's a continuing story, but one thing I do know is you gotta have everything work to be a successful bird hunter. You gotta be <laughs> able to walk. You yep. gotta be able to have you know you can do it you can do it without everything working, but uh it's one sport where you really, really do need everything working.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well you're seventy two and still giving it, so that's life goals for the rest of us listening, Randy.
1: <laughs> yeah, well it can be done for sure.
0: Where did where did this Business start for you? Did did bird hunting come later in life, or does it go way back to when you were younger? How did the how did you get started into bird hunting?
1: Well, you know, I'd always wanted to say that I learned to bird hunt from my dad and been doing it all my life, but that's not the case. I was actually 40 years old Hmm. and went out to my deer lease with a friend of mine. It's actually a story in my first book. Okay, and went out to a deer lease. I was walking out of the deer lease, uh, before light. And, uh, I stepped into a covey of quail. The, the lease had just been clear cut the year before. So, uh, you know, they cl- cut all the trees down, all yeah. everything uh, clear cut. That's what they do down here. So, um, boy, I yelled, you know, I yelled like a schoolgirl. and my, <laughs> buddy, my buddy started laughing at me and he was laughing and, you know, we're sitting there with our flashlights trying to be quiet. <laughs> and so, Uh, We, you know, we laugh a little bit. We took another couple of steps and he stepped into another co-coil and did the same thing. So (laughs) that that got me to thinking, you know, the real smart guy that I am. And uh, I'd always wondered about bird hunting. And so that, that really planted the seed. And then my wife bought me a, a Brittany out of the Atlanta paper hunting section. I know that's going to make a lot of readers cringe. I love it. But that's how I got my first dog. And uh, his name was Rocket, and that was that was the end of the startup story because I never looked back. Never right. hunted deer, again. never hunted anything again. No kidding. Except, um, that I had a two thousand acre deer lease. I was the only bird hunter on it, and I had a private, I had a private uh, southern quail hunting <laughs> plantation all to myself for five years, and uh, until it just grew up too much, I couldn't get in there.
0: That was convenient though.
1: It was wonderful. Yeah, it was great, and uh, you know, I just I couldn't get enough of it. I would I would either fly for, I was actually flying for my airline at the time. I was also flying in the Navy Reserves at the time, and if I wasn't doing that, I was bird hunting, and I would. It was just, you know, you could take any dog and make them a bird dog if you hunt that much, right. and and really, it's really what I did because that my first dog was not a genetic marvel. In fact, he was. Verily, he wasn't a very good bird dog but i killed thousands of birds over him. and uh we hunted a lot and so he got to be pretty good yeah so yeah uh, and i just i didn't even start traveling to hunt until i guess about six or seven years later okay i got grown up out of the lease and i my buddy said why don't we go someplace to hunt where they got birds <laughs> and so we looked around <laughs> and decided to go and that's how it started so.
0: how was the you know now being 30 years later so you got some more perspective and you traveled around how was the hunting on that that first lease was it pretty good quail hunting at that time for that window
1: absolutely yeah absolutely we had um i had the coveys named you know cemetery covey and plantation covey and such, such you know like guys do sure and i would you know, the first couple of years, they were huge, and I would be able to hunt and go down, and if I didn't get into 10 coveys, you know, something was wrong. Yeah. Uh, and 10 coveys of Bob whites in the south, I mean, you know, they're great days when you can go down and, and, and on those plantations uh, and hunt near wild birds, and, and you can get 15, 20 coveys up and so on like that, mm-hmm. but... Where I was, a guy didn't know what he was doing. I was using a sawed-off 12 gauge, for crying out loud! I didn't know what I was doing. I had no, nothing, and uh, not not illegal sawed-off, you know. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I hear, I
0: hear you. Yeah, how short were the barrels?
1: Yeah, it was well, I don't know, it was about 22 <laughs> <laughs> inches.
0: Yeah, that's legal. But, uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, it would eject the shell, but not by much. <laughs> it was bad.
0: was anyway, it a was it a it was pump gun or something?
1: No, it was a um, what was it? It was a um, Remington 12 gauge semi-auto. Okay, that's okay. all I remember about. It. I ended up giving it to a guy on his plantation because he was starting up a plantation. I said, "You need a loaner gun. This is a piece of junk, but you can have it." <laughs> and, uh it's like a he's you know he looked at it. and He goes, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> what do you, what do you, your patterns are six feet wide." You know. So I said, yeah. Isn't
0: it funny though, you know, you think back to when you're just getting started, when you don't overanalyze everything. And I mean, depending on what kind of person you are, but you know, you get a, you get a Brittany out of the newspaper from your wife and a sawed off Remington semi-auto and you're having a blast just quail hunting.
1: Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah. And I just, I just lived it. I wasn't too much, you know, that was back. and Most hunters do this. I think when they start out, they get into killing. Yeah. And, uh, they get out there and they want to limit. They want a limit. Not a bad chasing, thing. Chasing limit. the the success. Yeah. Yeah. Limit equals success, and uh, that's the way I was. And you know, I'm not saying that with pride. In fact, I'm saying I'm a little embarrassed about it. But yeah. that's uh, thankfully most people grow out of that. Uh, most people do. <laughs> so I've yeah. seen right. guys my age are the same way, but um, but anyway, that you know that's what it was all about to me. It was finding the birds and just the thrill. Mm-hmm finding the birds i wasn't too much into the dog work uh which was probably good um because i didn't have much of a dog <laughs> uh, but yeah. but i was i was i was amazed that i could look at a four or you know a field out there in my lease and know generally kind of where the birds were but look at my dog and think he's going to go find those birds and i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot one and you know for some reason, that always just totally amazed me that we could find something that is totally, completely hidden Yeah, uh, by using a dog's nose. Yeah, uh, that is, And that still fascinates me today. Uh, the light bulb you know, moment. Going out to Arizona, where I just was, and looking at a piece of a tract of land that's nothing but rolling grass, rocky, nasty, thorny hills, and thinking, you know, there's probably... Ten cubbies of blue quail out there right now. I can't see them, but this little thing next to me is going to go find them. Yeah, and uh, you know, and just turning them loose. I, I just love that. I love that.
0: Yeah, very cool. <laughs> uh, a couple things coming to mind. I so the I just watched yesterday your most recent quail hunt. Is that from this just recently? Then.
1: Oh yeah, last okay. week.
0: Okay. There was a scene in there where the. I wanted to talk to you about Britneys. I knew we would get into that, obviously. But they—I've got—I have two English setters. The listeners will know that, and they're the only two dogs I've ever had. But I—I I wonder if someday there might be a Britney in my future. Just of all the other breeds, I just there's something about them that I'm drawn to, and I love the way—and you see it in other dogs. It's not exclusive to Britneys, but when they are moving and relocating on scent, and I saw one of your dogs do it in the video, and they're kind of doing that stealth you know, creep, track, follow, whatever you want to call it, but it's very deliberate and it's intentional. I mean, there's, when any bird dog does that, that's the kind of stuff that just, that fires me up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's exciting. Um, you know, I hate, I, I don't, I don't, I, don't ha- I hate, well, let me rephrase that. I do field trials as well. I do uh, yep. national shooter field trials and, you know, we call that when, when a when a dog strikes bird scent, and then creeps in real slow like that mm-hmm. that's not that's not a good thing and so what we want to see in the field trial world is a dog slam sent slam that point right and be rock solid steady. you know so but slamming scent and being rock solid steady when you're hunting blue quail is a loser because those quail move yep and your dog will be on point and those birds will be 100 yards away and walking away and you're still kicking around in front of that dog to find those birds. Yep. You want a dog that's smart enough to say, the birds are gone. And he's gonna tra- he's basically trailing their scent yep. until they stop. And then he, he stops again. And all of my dogs are good at, well, except for the puppy. All of my dogs <laughs> are good at that. And uh, that really, when you see a dog doing that, you know you really got a really, really good bird dog. I can take that very same dog, though know, out into a field trial, on into a nastro field trial and uh he will slam a bird and be rock solid, you know, won't move and, an inch.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a great point that you bring up there. And and would you say that that's primarily due to the, the birds at the field trial, they're pretty much stationary, not moving. So if the dog has the bird, a good dog that knows what he's doing, like I said, being intentional about it, if the bird's not moving, the dog's not moving. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. And, and and like I say the, the the negative side of that is if the bird's not moving and the dog is moving bad. You know, that's not good. That's yeah. not good. Yeah. Eventually they're going to get close enough to the bird's going to say I'm out of here. It's yes. going to flush. Yep. And uh, and we call it, we call that bumping the bird and that's yep. that, you know that's not the thing. Yep. Yep. And you know you know, a dog dog can bump birds in in the wild too. You know, and we don't know where the birds are or when the dog gets into the scent cone so you know, he may get in the scent cone too bur- too close for a uh, for the birds to the cubby. Correct. Uh, and, you know, once he hits that scent cone, uh, you know, I can tell pretty much any bird dog really watching them when they hit that scent cone. Mm-hmm. And you can tell when the dog gets a scent cone, if he doesn't really slow down and kind of start looking like he's going to point, you know, uh-oh, this is not good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, next thing you're gonna see is a bird come up, probably. So, but, but that's all part of working with bird dogs, and you know, after watching them for so long, you know, you can, I can kind of look and watch a bird dog for a while and yep. say, I like that. I like that dog. You know, so a dog is stinks.
0: Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Going back to Brittany number one, because I think there there may be some. Now you'd based on your comments, you know, you weren't thinking much about dog training. You were thinking about hunting and chasing quail and you just brought the dog with, and I'm assuming you were pretty much shooting at anything that flew. What, what do you remember about that dog's development and, and how it maybe overcame some of your mistakes or oversights, whatever you want to call them? And how did, how did that dog's development play out with the two of you learning how to hunt together basically?
1: Yeah, that was, uh, Rocket was his name. Randy's Red Hot Rocket, mm-hmm. that was his name. And, uh, you know, he was given to me on my 40th birthday by my wife. And, you know, she didn't know where to get a bird or bird dog. So, uh, you know, he had, I hunted that dog to the absolute limit of his genetic ability. And it took a while because he was probably trying to hunt me to the, my limits of my genetic ability. <laughs> the Rocket, Rocket was... Uh, he was really a blue collar dog and he, you know, I didn't, I sent him to a trainer cause I didn't know that that's what, you know, that's not really all that necessary, but I figured dog trainers are out there. And yep. I found a dog trainer in the back of a magazine. Well, just, you know, it was a back of like an outdoor magazine, one of those little one inch ads back there, you know, Yeah. Yeah. dog, it was a dog trainer in Tennessee. So I took rocket up there and the man was too nice and too smart to directly insult me. So (laughs) he worked with Rocket and, but, you know, I kind of got the idea that, you know, Rocket wasn't the best bred bird dog out there. And he really wasn't, you know, he really didn't have what it took to be just a really champion classic bird dog, but that dog hunted from daylight to dark through every type of terrain that you can imagine and loved to find birds. So I was, and in retrospect, I tried to tally up how many birds I'd actually killed over him. um, You know, counting field trials as well. And it was thousands, thousands of birds. And, you know, he wouldn't back because I never hunted with anybody else. Uh, There was no reason for him to back. Gotcha. And uh, so in field trials, you know, about half the time I got had, I got picked up (laughs) because, (laughs) he would interfere with the other dog and do the walk chain off the field, you know? So, um, but he got better and better and better. And, and I got to trust him and that was back before GPS. So mm. all I was listening to was a bell or sometimes a beeper. Yep. You know, beepers came along. They were just an ama- amazing, innovation. Right you now. So, uh, it was that long ago. Now we, we forget that with our GPS stuff, but, uh, yeah but he grew and grew and grew. And then I realized I needed, Hey, I needed another dog. I was going to run my dog to death. so I needed another dog. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. Rocket lived inside the house with me. He was my buddy. You know, he wasn't just a dog. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so they didn't live out in the kennel or anything like that. So I ended up buying a setter and she was amazing. Uh, and she went out, rocket never really got too far from me, but Ruby was her name. And uh, she would get out, you know, 100 yards, and she was an all-white dream, and she was wonderful, a wonderful bird dog, hybrid, trained herself, literally trained herself, Yeah. point, back, breathe, and, uh, you know, those genetics, when they come out, uh, a friend of mine reminded me the other day of a trainer that talked to him. This is an old saying, so I don't know who to attribute it to, but... The trainer told him one time, said Randy, or his name was Gary, said Gary, you can either buy training or you can buy genetics, mm. and you're gonna find out which you want pretty soon. And I realized the genetics are what you want. Yeah. So this girl had it, and she was amazing. So, and then I hunted for two dogs. So my two dogs, Rocket and Ruby. Love for it. many many years until I ended up buying other dogs, but that's pretty much the way it started.
0: Yeah, I think I've I've hunted over at least one or maybe two setters named Ruby. So that brings up some fond memory. What um, <laughs> you didn't stick with the setters? Was there what what the britney stole your heart or what's the story there?
1: Well, Rocket was a not only was a was he a britney but he was a liver Brittany, you know, brown one. Okay. Uh, so I had Ruby, and then I had several setters. I had Jet, I okay. had Bow, Bo, uh, ah, Grits, I had yeah. all kinds of other setters, and Jet. I had Jet, Randy's smoking Jet. But uh, finally, I just decided I had to decide what I was going to do, go one way or the other, just to keep from having too many different kinds of airplanes to fly here. You
0: wanted to stick with something,
1: uh, yeah, I get you. Yeah, it's fun to stick with something. So I went back and got another uh, liver. Uh, that's squeaking as my puppy. I hope she's not bothering me. <laughs> No, it's all right. That's,
0: I'm surprised my Rose isn't doing the same thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I ended up getting another liver. Brittany, a male, and uh, went from there. His name was Ace, and uh, just a minute, that's going to not be good. Ace, anyway, and and he he fathered pretty much everything else that I have now. Uh, he's passed away now, and And, uh, the female that I use Ruby, she passed away right after Thanksgiving. So, you know, I, but, but all those, everything I've got pretty much the bloodlines come from them, except this little puppy, (laughs) this little puppy came out from another, uh, breeder down here in Georgia. Okay. uh, How old,
0: um, how old is that pup?
1: She is, uh, let's see, a little over seven months, between seven and eight months.
0: Okay. So she, she got some runs in this fall, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, she did. I took her to Arizona and New Mexico, and uh, I got her in a couple of my videos. Uh, well, she's in that video. Okay. She's in that. Every once in a while, you'll see Shaq on point or Cap on point, and here comes a little brown fur missile heading through the field. There was <laughs> slows down. And I, I did notice that later, in that later in the video, she did flush. Um, she flushed some blue quail. And she flushed some uh, Myrn's quail. Okay. Uh, but I just noticed it in the video. I didn't, I didn't. you know, bird flushed. I didn't know where it came from. And I turned around and shot and I didn't even see her. So she flicked, She flushed the bird. <laughs> uh, uh, she didn't point the whole time. She's got, uh, it's amazing because she's doing it all in the field except finding birds. So uh, I know she's smelling them. She yep. just doesn't know what to do. Yep. So this, since we've been back, I've been putting out a bird a day and uh, putting her on a bird and letting her point, you know, letting her just stroke her and telling her bird and then uh, going and kicking her up, let, kicking the bird up and let her chase it. Yep. Let her get all excited. And uh, so we're just starting that now. So, yeah, next year she'll be ready. Next year she'll be ready. So
0: Love it. So just on, on that note, because I think it's, you know, again, you've you've had – Clearly you've had a bunch of dogs, you've been doing this for 30 years, you've, you've seen dogs develop and talking about a puppy, you know, what's your, what's your, and I think I can gather your approach just based on what you're telling me, but you're letting this dog go out and run and find birds and explore and experience things. And you shot a bird that she flushed and I'm, I'm quite certain you're not, you're not hitting the panic button or you're on high alert or anything like that. Talk me through your, your approach to letting a young dog get out and, and start to learn how to hunt wild birds.
1: Well, it, it took me a while to learn this, but uh, what I do right from the start, I take them out to the kennel. I mean, they're just seven, eight weeks old, you know, they're following me around. And uh, once once they bonded to me, I can go anywhere. And I got this little fur missile, you know, wandering around in front of me or uh, by me, I take them out to the kennel and they, they hear the barking and they visit with the other dogs and I put them in there. and And then when I run the dogs, when they get a little older, and they can actually run along with me. You know, when I turn out, uh, you know, I'll have maybe two or three dogs out in the kennel if they're not in the house, and I'll turn them out, and I'll, I've will i got a mile course around my pasture, and I'll uh, run the dogs. Well, they learn to run with them. Yeah. And they, uh, they learn from the other dogs for probably the first eight months of their life. Um, you know, they'll see them point. They'll see them retrieve, uh, especially the running part especially when I'm walking and the dogs are in front, they're looking, they're watching the other dogs, right? They're they're watching how those other dogs, the other dogs never run off and leave me. And you know, my dogs are always looking for me, not the other way around. Yeah. And so, uh, sometime in there, I'll take her out into the pasture and she'll be out in front. They, They also learn to stay in front that way. Um, she'll be out in front and I'll just hide behind a tree and she'll turn around and she'll miss me and it'll scare her. And, you know, she gets, she goes, Oh my gosh. And different dogs react differently to that. Right. And, and then what I'll do is I'll, I'll kind of peek at her. And when she's turned away, looking away from me, uh, I'll pop back out and I'll give her a call and she'll just go, Oh my God, there you are. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. There he is. You know, <laughs> and, and, uh, all my dogs learn that way that if they're not careful, they can get lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, so somebody might say, I was worried when I first started that, that they might say, well, they'll just never get very far from you. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> what they will do is though, they'll know where I am. And it may be, they may be 200 yards away, 300 yards away, but I'll watch them and they'll get up on top of the hill and they'll still find me and then they'll go back to work. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those little tricks that I use. But uh, so I do that until, and I and they're not wearing any kind of collar at all. Mm-hmm. i mean electrical no no uh, training collar at all uh i may when they get big enough like jade here i'll put a uh, training collar on her with an ant you know the the uh use a garmin alpha yeah and uh, when we were out hunting she wore one because i had to have her location at all times you know she might try chase a deer or yep. you know chase a squirrel or get lost or whatever doing puppy and stuff that way it, yeah, doing puppy stuff, and so, uh, but, you know, there's no no transmitting, no nothing like that on it until they're at least a year old, and then that's when I go out and introduce them to the collar, and I actually went to a school that Garmin put on, oh. it was Tritronics back then, but went to a Tritronics school to learn how to use that collar, and it's a lot different than most people think, yeah. so I went to that school, I was concerned about it, and I would probably say that most people could benefit from doing that or watching a video or uh, something, probably out a bet. YouTube video yeah. out of it now. But I'm, I,
0: I think I maybe have an idea, but what's the main kind of takeaway that you took, you know, as far as like.
1: The main takeaway on using all that I learned is the introduction where you start out on a one or a two just enough to where you see them either blink an eye mm-hmm. or flicking ear or something. But not move their head, not yell, nothing like that. Yeah. Just to know that you know that they feel something small. Okay, and that's, that's what you start out on. And from then, and I'm not going to go through how to do it, but they, you're basically teaching them to turn off the stimulation. Got it, yep. By doing what you want them to do. And I teach them three things right off the bat. I teach them to come. I teach them to go away. In other words, to get in their box mm-hmm. and to stop, to woe. Yep. So with, three, with the same stimulation, I teach these pups at a year old to come, to woe, and to load up yep. or to go in, to get in the kennel. So I teach them three things right off the bat. And I teach them, I don't teach them one thing at a time. I'll teach them all three at once because I don't want them to associate that stimulation with doing one thing. Hmm. Most people use a dog to... Uh, that's the collar. They teach them to come to them. Right. And so when a dog feels a collar, even it's on a one or a two or anything, they go up. Oh, I better get over there right away. Right. So I want my dogs to learn that they. So you stimulate them first, then you give the command, and then you you show them what to do. Uh, for example, to come, use a check cord. So I'll stimulate them here, and then pull them to me. And then as soon as they start coming to me, I let off the stimulation,
0: stimulation. goes off. So yep. Gotcha.
1: Dogs are smart. They are really, they're brilliant actually. Right. And they, they know how to turn things off and on and they, you know, that's how we train them. So that is diametrically opposed to what most people think you should do with a collar. Yeah. They, they use it as a, they use it as a correction tool. And, and I, I that's not really the way that I use it. Uh, but uh, eventually I cannot remember the last time I actually used uh, anything but the tone on any of my dogs. Yeah. Truly. Yeah. But I've got it. I've got it. If a dog's running or or, uh, going after a javelina or, you know, chasing after a coyote, uh, he's going to feel it yeah, because he's, I'm going to give him a chance to turn. You know, (laughs) I'm going to give him a chance to obey. Right. But I want him to kill himself. So it's always there, but, but no, I don't hardly ever. And I, like I said, I cannot remember the last time I had to actually stimulate a dog.
0: Yeah. I think, whether that's in the genetics, buying smart dogs that are, that are biddable and cooperative or not, but they, as you point out, they're, they're very smart. It doesn't take much coaching and developing and, and showing them a few things. And you get to a, a place where you're essentially on autopilot when you're hunting and they require very little communication, correction, et cetera. But like you said, you've got it there um, in case you need to use it
1: absolutely and you know doing field trials helps too because they have to be a little bit more trained uh a lot more actually and you know they're trained to a standard and um you have to train them to that standard or you're just not going to score well you're just not going to do well in the trial yeah so you know and that really helps that really helps focus uh, what you're doing and i and i i write a uh in the master magazine i write a little little article every once in a while and I really, I put in there that I like to train my dogs for the NASA standards and then they fall right into the hunting standards, you know, and I enforce NASA standards when I'm hunting. I don't let a dog drop a quail in front of me. I don't care how dry he is or, you know, I don't care if that pheasant spurn him. you know, I want that bod- bird brought to me and put in my hand. Gotcha. And if they drop, I make them pick it up and hand it to me. Uh, so... And I learned a long time ago: if he gets slack in the field, the first trial you run, that dog's going to spit that bird out. Sure, <laughs> that's yeah, right, right before it gets to you, which is uh, a, a no-no. So. Yeah,
0: well, that's that's a lot on. I did I did want to get into the dogs a bit with you, and it sounds like so. You the the one question I had left, which we kind of we can sort of see how it played out, but that first dog, you know, we know the story there, and and you. Pretty quickly, decided that you were you were into the dogs and you were going to start running trials. And there was just there was just no turning back on all accounts.
1: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I found out later when I started doing trials with Rocket that uh, I was going to have to up my game dog wise. Yeah. I expected to show up in these field trials because you know these guys. NASA was kind of in its. Uh, I was let's see. I got I got into NASA in ninety one. Um. And uh, they'd been around, they have been around quite a while before that, but it was small. My my national number is uh, 83, 81. Uh, And they're up to like in the 20,000s now. uh, Wow. For member numbers, you know, that doesn't mean they have 20,000 participants. Sure. But um, so, and I've been doing it now for what, 30 some odd years. But, um, you know, there's guys, a lot of people I know have been doing it longer than me. Um, because kind of, kind of stick around and do it, but these guys were professionals. There's a lot of guys out there doing it that, uh, that's what they do. That's all they do yeah. is these field trials with their dogs. And, you know, if a casual trailer, like I was shows up, they're just going to rub their hands in glee because, you know, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're going to take me apart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that happened many times. Uh, I don't I have no idea what kept me coming back. I'll tell you the truth. I got whacked so many times, but now, now Nestor's got a, got a, uh, uh, amateur okay. uh, division where new guys can compete against new guys and prevent that from happening. So it's very, very new guy friendly and, and that doesn't happen. So, uh but that, but you still have to have the dog and you still have to have that genetic dog that comes out there that can master the requirements. Yeah. Uh, point back, retrieve, uh, obedience and ground cover. And those are what you're scored on point back, retrieve obedience and ground cover yeah. and a back Yeah. one back. You get one so, um, and all that stuff. So, you know, a dog that won't, uh, eh, you know. That probably it won't it won't cut the mustard in Nastra. You got dog's gotta back. Uh, in fact, you're not you cannot win a major trial unless you demonstrate at least once that your dog will back. So it, it is a requirement. Yeah. You can win a local trial that way, but not not a major trial.
0: Is I, I, I've talked a little to some folks about Nastra, but not a whole lot. But is there is there anything is the hunter involved at all or is it strictly graded on the dogs, or is I can't remember if if you're graded on your shooting and dropping birds and that kind of thing.
1: You're not graded uh, directly. Okay. If you miss the bird, the dog will not get a score for the retrieve. Okay. Because, unless he chases the bird down and picks it up and brings it back. Right. Funny story, I actually entered a trial uh, with my ruby dog that setter I was telling you about earlier. And uh, she actually, I missed five birds and she brought five birds back. (laughs) And we won the trial, so that's <laughs> how good she was. Was and now you know why I was using a sawed-off 12 gauge when I first started shooting. So I shoot left-handed, and you know most guns I know are made for right-handed shooters. Yeah. Some of them come with cap off already on them, and so I didn't know anything about bent stocks. I didn't know anything about drop. I didn't right. know anything about anything. And I'm shooting these guns I pick up from somebody. He says, "Here, try this gun. Maybe you'd be better." You know, and <laughs> and right-handed shooter. Well, I shoot like I said. I shoot left-handed, and and uh, and I, it was I was well into this before I realized that. Hey, Randy, it's you. It's not the gun. <laughs> <But, laughs> did
0: did Ruby did Ruby ever catch a wild bird?
1: I'm trying to think. No, she never did. pocket <laughs> caught a pheasant by the tail one time. Okay, tail feathers, but Ruby never did. Ruby was polite enough to point them and not catch them. <laughs> Lockett. Rocket would never had any compunctions about going after a pheasant in the grass. So he was uh, he was kind of a flushing dog on pheasant. Uh, but once again, I was into if it flies, it dies mode. Yeah, he so just wanted I to see him fly. It. I wanted to see him fly, and so did he. Yeah. <laughs> he was,
0: <laughs> yep. Uh,
1: he was many dogs ago, though. I have a soft spot for him, though. Yeah,
0: I uh, bet. I bet. Yeah. You know what, you know, what kind of handler he had at that time.
1: Absolutely do. <laughs> and uh, now, uh, as an example, when I was doing NASTRA with him, he never did get his championship. Never. And I, I hunted, <laughs> I probably didn't ask 10 years with him. And, and now I've got dogs that get their championship within a year, you know, just, just doing, you know, local trials and stuff like that. So it's, It's a big, it's a lot of it's me, but you asked about did the handler, the handler does not get scored in NASTRA. No, Uh, your shooting gets scored just by the fact that you've got to kill a bird for the dog to retrieve it. And that's part of the dog's. The dog is the one being judged by the, by the, uh, by the judge, the dog only. And so is the handler important? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. The handler is important. I would say that probably these guys that are winning the national trials, uh, the pros, I call them, they're the A-team, really. Those guys, they are amazing about how they're actually thinking, what they're thinking when they're in the field competing. Yeah. Uh, and I have nothing but respect for them. They are incredible guys. Uh, and they are professionals in, in every sense of the word. Um, so in that regard, the person that's handling the dog uh contributes uh a lot to the score we have one guy uh he's pretty famous nolan huffman i mean he really put britney's on the map hmm. with uh his dog nolan's last bullet i mean i, I probably got the n- numbers wrong and, and nolan if you hear this you'd probably correct me but he's like a 33 time champion or something like that it's just amazing and here's rocket couldn't even get his championship after 10 years and and this dog Bullet's got 33 championships and wow i don't know 10 time national champion i mean as a Brittany, you know, so he really put Britneys back on the map. But, but Nolan was amazing. Nolan would go out and, and run a trial, and and he could be down, uh, you know, four birds to two. The other dog had four birds, and he has two. And he'd come off and win the trial. Hmm. He'd find three more birds somehow. <laughs> and, uh, well, part of it was the dog, but part of it was Nolan. And uh, just an amazing guy, amazing handler. So uh, the team of the handler and the dog yeah. are, are critical. Uh, so, yeah. So, you know, guys like me that go out there, I could I could go out there with an A plus, A plus dog. But when, when I'm new, I'll make some dumb mistake, you know, like stay in a corner of the field when the other guy's out finding all the birds and the other ends of the field, you know, and I'm standing over there trying to find one bird or something, you know, the situation always dictates what you do. Yeah. And uh, amateur handlers are usually their own worst enemy. Uh, we've got a program now that amateurs can go out with a guy with him and actually help them and talk to them and say, this is what I would do here. That's cool. And uh, yeah, yeah. And it's pretty cool because generally they'll pick somebody that's really well known to be an excellent handler. You know, one of these pros I'm talking about, say, "Hey, would you mind coming out with me and, and being my mentor on this, uh, on this brace? Yeah. And you know, it's a great, great program. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Excellent.
0: Yeah. And, and that was the other thing. So when you're, when you are running the event, I'll have to, I'll have to do some more, maybe I'll have to do a Nastra episode entirely, but there, uh, you, when you're running, you and another handler, and dog team are in the same field, kind of competing against each other. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The format, I probably should have gone through that. The format is that you and your dog and, and, and me and my dog, we go into a blind and they go out and they put, they hide five birds out of the field. Okay. Big field, 40 acres, 30 acres, 20 acres, like that. And uh, then we're called out, and we go to a start line. Uh, You have your judge. I have my own judge. And uh, we turn our dogs loose. At this point, the dogs are leashed. We turn our dogs loose, and we have 30 minutes to go out and find those birds. And uh, we're scored on uh, how how well the dog points the bird, how well the dog retrieves the bird, Hmm. uh, how well... uh, dog's obedience uh the dog's ground coverage uh and if there's a back involved they get scored for one back and there's different amounts of points you know it's like a hundred points for each point there are find there's a hundred points for each retrieve and there's a grading scale in there and the judges are all certified and they learn how to apply the apply the um the scoring system yep. and it, and they're writing down on a scorecard as they're going along. You know, we used to ride horses. Now we ride four wheelers. Uh, and we follow the dog. We really don't care much about the handler. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, and if a handler goes out and wants to start this and is not a very good shot, he can have a gunner. Gotcha. Go it's a good shot. Okay. Yeah. So we kind of tried to cover all the bases to get people involved. And, and it really works. I mean, it's growing in leaps and bounds now that we've got the amateur system. You know, where guys used to go out and just take a thrashing the first couple of years. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> like I did. I remember I'm going, why am I doing it? You know, I'm getting cream, <laughs> you know. And, uh, uh, so now that's not the case. Now you're actually competing against other new guys yeah. uh, that are not, you know. And I think, you're, I think you're no longer an amateur after you've got seven points. And you get, oh, the way you get points is by uh, third place, you get one point, second place, you get two points. And first place, you get three points. And, uh, after at 18 points, you get a championship, but, uh, nine of those 18 points, half the points have to be first place points. So you have to have, ah, a, you can, know, okay. you have okay. to have a three first places, you know, plus 18 points to yeah. get, uh, you know, to the, get your championship. The quote so,
0: unquote champ. Yeah. I was wondering about that when you said that. So it's uh it's something you, you earn it in, there's a system for earning it. Okay. I follow you.
1: Sure. And there's the, re- the whole country is divided up into regions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are 28. I actually just looked
0: 30. that up because I was curious if it was done by state. And I I just looked up. There's a I see the mid-north region, which is Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota. Uh, I'm on yeah. their website, so we'll plug for them.
1: Yeah. And I I don't know where they run most of their – I think they run most of their trials over in North Dakota. But it I'm seems not sure. like it, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you go online to nstra.org, org and uh, you can just click on the regions, to see where they are, and they've got their schedules in there and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of them, like up north, uh, they'll they'll do trials all summer long. Down here in the south, it's too hot. Our trial season is from September through uh, March. We have our our region championship in March. Okay. Uh, first part of March, and and it varies year to year. Uh, but the heat down here is what pretty much dictates what we do.
0: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: You know, cool. There. Now you guys are, you guys are under a bunch of snow. So.
0: Yep. Yep. We are, we are covered up pretty good. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and Fred of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at uglydoghunting.com. Many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter, imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com.
1: But um, you know, I can I interject something here? I would. Please. I want to tell you how much I love my gun. No, this all got started because I wrote Nick an email and said, my gun is a death ray. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that was a quote. <laughs> I saw that subject this, line come that, over and I, uh, I dropped everything to read that email.
1: <laughs> my gun is a death ray and I am... And I'm, and you, I'm not going to allow you to interrupt me while I tell them how good my gun is. <laughs> um, and by the way, I'm not getting anything from Nick to say this. I'm not sponsored by our, you know, by Upland Gut Company yeah. or anything like that. So, but I wanted, I finally decided I wanted a gun made for me. Before I start this, is there anything you want to cover? No,
0: <laughs> I'm gonna, no, I, I'm gonna no. tell them the whole. Thing. Yeah, I, I want uh, You dive into this, and it's a good. I was gonna transition at that point, so I will. I'll circle up at the end. But yeah, you you tell everybody okay. the the gun you wound up with and your first impressions.
1: I, yeah, I had never had a gun made for men. Like I said, I'm a lefty, and and I've always had all semi-autos that blow the shell in front of my face. I've always, you know, and so I really got into double guns. I love double guns. I love side by side double guns um i ended up with a uh my most favorite gun up to this point has been a 1912 angley h fox mm. 20 gauge Ooh, 20 gauge a, yeah a 20 gauge and i had to have it restocked okay Yeah. because yep. it was so small for me and people said oh that destroys the value i said well i don't have any guns that are collectors i yeah. mean that one surely could have been good for you um, though so, yeah and so i use them and and oh i shoot that gun like a dream as well but um, you know, I just felt bad taking it out in bad weather and stuff. So I kind of was, you know, I have other guns I use and, and then I, I got a, another double that it was a 20 gauge. I just latched onto the 20 gauge. Yeah. The, and another gun that I use a double that I bought from a guy for, for $300 that he bought the whole collection from another guy. And it's an SKB model 100, okay. uh, yeah. with ejectors. And it's, and it's just, I love that gun. It fits me perfectly and, and it was just wonderful. And, you know, but and I can lay it down on the ground and I feel trial with it. Actually, yeah. I lay it down on the ground. If it's raining, I don't worry about it, that kind of thing. So over the years, and I, and I bought an Ansley H Fox 16 gauge made 1933 and used that. And that just never, you know, a beautiful, beautiful gun and it paid a lot of money. I was kind of. I had no parental supervision at the time, so I just spent a lot of money on it. And, I love it. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I had this gun, and so I, I really wanted a bespoke gun, a gun made for me, and I'd never had it done. And I can't remember how I got on Upland Gun Company. Yeah. I, I must have seen an ad. You yeah. Know? I think I did see an ad, and I can't remember where it was. It might have been in a magazine. I don't know. Yep. I'm sure it was online because I don't read a lot of magazines, but anyway. So I just kind of clicked on it and I'm reading it and I'm reading. I'm going, oh my gosh, this is awesome! And then I I got down there and it said, you know, what do you gonna expect to pay and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going, wow. Well, uh, uh, uh. So I said, well, right. I got this 16 gauge fox that I. It's a beautiful gun. So I told my wife, I said, listen, I want to buy this gun and I'm going to sell this fox to do it. And uh, she says, is it going to cover it? And I said, well. We'll see. Yeah. I'm supposed to have the gun; and it'll cover it, and it did almost to the penny. It was amazing. Uh, so, and I did not order the gun until I sold the fox. And uh, guy down in South Georgia bought it, and I ordered the gun. And and I got talking to you, and you asked me, "What do? You, oh, I, I know. I filled out the uh, form about yep. what I wanted, and uh, and I mean, it was like the next day. Might have been that day. You called me on the phone. And he said, uh, so, Randy, I see you got a gun order here. And I said, yeah. He said, well, um, so why did you pick 26-inch barrel? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to be using it, you know, in the grass woods. You know, you know, by this time, I'm a real thinker about my gear. Yes. So yep. I, I decided I want to, I, you know, I'm going to want a short barrel maneuver in the grass woods. And he you you said, well, you know, this gun is light, really light. And you're cutting down weight by shortening the barrel so you can swing faster, he said, you know, I really think you're going to want a longer barrel than that. Well, right about that time, I talked to two of my friends, one of them out in Wyoming and one of them in Tucson, and I told them I'm going to buy this gun, and uh, both of them shot, one of them shoots uh, skeet for the Air Force Okay. or sporting clays, stuff like that, you know, and um, he said, Randy, he said, you want to rethink that barrel length. And then the other guy that's out in Wyoming, he's a bird hunter like me, and he's got a 28 double. And uh, he said, Randy, uh-uh, you need 29 or 30 inches on that barrel. I said, 30 inches? I never had a 30-inch barrel in my life. <laughs> that's a goose gun for yeah. to find out loud. You know, and he said, Randy, trust me. He said, you... And I said, so I think the compromise on a 29-inch barrel. Yep. And, and and you mentioned that he said Randy, I think you want something longer, so you know you talked me out of the 26, gave me a 29 inch barrel, and uh, and then I think I went to 28 initially, and then to a 29 inch barrel. And uh, there's some other things I knew I wanted on it. Now I'm picking, I'm picking and choosing every single thing. I think I went with a I went with a case hardened finish instead of the extra schooling. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of went back to my utilitarian background, and so I went with uh, an extractor. Now I used to be like. Uh, an ejector pig that's what i call them <laughs> It blast shells everywhere you yep, go you yep, know yep. And, you see, and i'm sorry if i've offended somebody but but i am i really got berated one time by a friend of mine for leaving my shells and he said first of all it's sloppy secondly it tells everybody where you're finding birds and i said "Ooh, i started to pay attention right once, and third, once you hear that you know <laughs> yeah once you hear that well Uh, I did go with extractors and now I extract, I love extractors because, you know, I pull them out and throw shells in my bird bag and I keep going. So I went with that. Um, I went with a flat rib. Uh, you changed some of these, you changed it to a concave rib, I think for me. I might have. Yeah. And I like that. Uh, I went with interchangeable chokes and that's not one of the things I would have changed. Uh, so I, because I go to so many different places that hunt so many different birds, right that that's important uh i did want a prince of wales stock though that was a mandatory that was mandatory i found that i i do not like and do not like to shoot straight stocks. so uh i went with a plastic butt stock and uh we changed that to yeah. a wood butt stock yeah which i'm so glad we did that Good. that's awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> I wanted a I went with splinter forend and I stayed with that. I didn't want the uh, beaver forend and all these things are options that are offered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I went with a. Originally I went with a two and a half grade and uh, up that to a th- number three grade wood and, which is great. That's a beautiful beautiful piece of wood. Do yeah, you I remember they. You guys sent me pictures of hey here's three or four different. Uh, what do you call them? Um,
0: yeah stocks what? stock selection yeah. yeah yep the lineup uh, we sent you
1: yeah there's a name for them but anyway pieces of wood there and i picked the one i wanted and then they came back and they said well no, because of your length of pull that's not enough wood we're gonna have to try these three right and so i finally ended up yeah uh, picking one they were just beautiful pieces of wood and i'm thrilled with that um, brass bead and then i went with uh the left-handed uh, shooter configuration, which is uh, a little bit of a add-on there too. So yeah, uh, and I went with a single trigger, and I tell you something that I wish I had gone with a double trigger. Okay. That's the only thing, one hundred percent. Me it has nothing to do with Upland Gun Company. Yeah, but I just like all my other guns are double triggers. I don't know what was in my head, uh, but I went with a single trigger, and it sh- it doesn't affect me at all, other than the fact that. The double trigger is does not slow me down one iota in the woods, and I just would have wanted to have that little bit of extra, um, you know, leeway, and because I can change triggers, you know, in midstream. Yep. Uh, you know, I can, I can, I can pull on, I can be pulling that open trigger and say, well, and change to the other trigger if I have to, and I've done it in my other guns. And I've seen other guys do it when I hunt with them, and um, you know.
0: Yeah, I forgot. I forgot that you did go single trigger there. I don't. I don't. Even, I don't specifically recall any conversation we had around that, but yeah. Yeah.
1: Probably most people are afraid of double trigger, right? And I, you know, I'm here to tell you, your brain handles that. Yeah. You don't even think about. It. Yeah. You don't even think about. It. I can shoot that gun as fast. Those shells will, will go through there as fast as a is a semi-auto with double triggers and single trigger makes no difference whatsoever yeah. uh as far as being fumbled up your brain can handle it but so i got out there the first couple hunts i we weren't really weren't into birds i was in montana and it was so hot okay uh, i shot some i did i shot some sharp tail and some huns uh, but it was just so so hot that was 95 degrees during the day and you know, cause I always insist on going the 1st of September, like a knucklehead. And, <laughs> well, you, you know, got nothing else to I, do, Randy, right? <laughs> well, I do. And then I'm so antsy. Also, you know. yeah. So, um, I, you know, this year I'm a gold bit later. So we did get a whole lot of birds. And then I went to Wyoming and in Wyoming, I'm hunting blue grouse where you have pretty much a lot of time to take your time. You don't have to rush your shots and, and, uh, got some blue grouse and we hunted chucker. I never had a shot at chucker, but I, I did have a shot at uh sage grouse and so, and, and Hungarian partridges and, and bagged some of them, but uh, so, but there weren't just a massive amount of birds, you know? So, and then I went to, in October, I went to uh, Wisconsin and Michigan and, and I'm hunting rough grouse. And as you know, rough grouse is just a, just a wonderful stroll through the woods with the uh, 30 seconds of panic yep. thrown in there. <laughs> while <and> bird. <laughs> you know, it's just amazing. So, um, uh, you know, I did I did bag a few birds with a, with a gun then, and then uh, in November, I went up and hunted uh, prairie chickens, and um, I had some dog issues at that point. I was hunting my middle dog, and he just kind of lost his mind one day. We got into chickens, and they were everywhere, so I really didn't give the gun a fair shake, but when I got into hunting those quail in Arizona, now, these quail r- fly roughly – Five times as fast as a bobwhite <laughs> I don't mm. know where they go they are rocket ships yeah. and so it was pure instinct shooting it was and I had I think over the space of a couple of weeks I probably had five or six doubles on the Seriously. cubby rise
2: yeah.
1: uh, and and I pulled off a double several times I mean I shot one bird down and and deliberately did not shoot another bird yeah. several times Yep. Uh, and it was pure gun fit and instinct shooting. And because of the birds are so fast Yeah, and, um, you know, uh, shooting a covey rise of, of Mern's quail, or a, not really Mern's quail so much as blue quail and gamble squail. Those birds by January, they're hardened campaigners. Yeah. They are fit. They're survivors. They're big and they are, uh, you're shooting them going away and you, they do not give you much slack.
0: How did they, how do they compare to, I have a feeling which way you're going to go on this, but how do they compare to a, a September covey of Huns getting up in front of you? Cause that's about what I could compare it to.
1: I would say they, uh, you know, as far as I've shot September coveys of Huns before, and I would really say that uh, they are much more difficult. I can't say how much. I would say, gotcha. you know, another not twice as fast, but
0: but they're not they slower. Are,
1: they're not slower. <laughs> they are definitely not. Yeah. And they are, they will run. This year, they were, I had so much fun in that last video because filming cubby rises because it's very, usually they're running ahead of the bird dog, 50 mm-hmm. yards ahead of them. Yep. And it's just a matter of, a, it's a track race out there. Uh, and I hate that. <laughs> so uh, but this year because of the grass they held like Bob White's. it was amazing uh, and so I'm filling these cubby rises, blue quail and gambles quail that uh, back in the day the, you got covey rises on the early season birds because they were stupid not because there was uh, you know not because there was they just ran just because they just were young birds they didn't know enough right. to run right and then later in the season, you never got a covey rise on them uh, because they just they wouldn't give it to you, or you you'd be driving along a road and they covey rise off the road as you out of a bush, you know. And that's the way a lot of the locals on them in New Mexico. is They drive down the roads and watch them flush off the road, and then they jump out of the truck and run after them. So, you know, you but this year they would actually hold for dogs, singles, coveys. It was wonderful. It was really nice. So. And so when you get there and you, you walk up to a covey of blue quail that have a dog pointed on one side and you're walking up on the other side, yeah. and they're already nervous. And like I said, these late season birds, they are tough. They are tough. Um, if you want to shoot, you know, eight shot, seven and a half, you're going to have a lot of runners on your hand. You're going to knock them down, but they're going to appear. here. So if you shoot six shot, you're cutting down on your size, your number of shot. Uh, but you're more likely to have a, a direct, uh, kill on the bird. Uh, you, you won't lose as many, but when you knock down a double over a point, uh, of a covey, your dog's got to get on them right away, or you may lose one of that, yeah. one of those birds. Yeah. Uh, that's very common, very common. In fact, I was, I was driving with a uh, rancher out there this year. We're hunting private land and, uh, we were getting into a lot of birds because, A, it was private, and, B, it was his land. And he knew where the birds were. <laughs> so And he looked at me just casually as can be because I'm driving my truck. He's riding with me. He said, you know, Randy, uh, when they're out here like this, you know, probably ought not to shoot more than two or three on the cubby rides, you know. And I started <laughs> laughing. And he said, what's so funny? I said, you know, I said, CJ, you don't really, you don't really understand <laughs> Your shooting is so good that you're worried about how many are shooting on the, <laughs> the cubby rise. Most people, are, most people are sitting there just <laughs> can't even shoot one on a cover rise. Tickle to drop one, yeah. Hey, <laughs> you got to be careful not to shoot more than two or three. <laughs> but, uh, but he says, yeah, because, you know, you'll start losing them because they just run like the wind. If you yeah. break a wing, you know, they'll run down a hole in a minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, go for a hole or something, you know. And, uh, but anyway. But anyway, I kind of drifted away, but I did. I, I got done with shooting those birds, and I texted you that email, or I sent you that yeah. email. And I love my gun. I love my gun. Now I got that oiled stock. I love my oiled stock. I love everything about the gun. Uh, you know, it's a little stiff when you first get it. Yep. And I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm breaking it open. and I'm pulling those shells out. And I'm trying to get more shells in the gun, and uh, and I'm laughing the whole time because this is this is. I just love that life. <laughs> uh, birds are flushing at my feet and I'm trying to get more shells in the gun. I said, but that's not the gun's fault. That's the operator's fault. Yeah. Uh, You know, so, uh, and that happened more than once. And I think it's in the video. I'm sitting there laughing when birds are getting up my feet, (laughs) bird squaler coming right and the left. And I, I just missed two (laughs) missed with two shells and I'm sitting there trying to get more shells in the gun. But, um, but I love it and it fits. It's the only fitted gun I've ever had. And, uh, I can't recommend it enough. I tell guys, you know, it's, I think I, I probably sold five guns for it, you. Know, guys <laughs> that I know, out there. Kenny out there, I think he 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 bought one for himself and one for his kid. And
0: uh, oh so, yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah, I think um, yeah I recall that name. Okay, I got gotcha. you. I can't remember
1: his name right now, but anyway, he's out there. Yes.
0: The, yep. Yeah,
1: he was he was all excited, and uh, so he was a pilot uh, too.
0: Anyway. Is that how you know him? Yeah, he was a retired Air Force oh, pilot. Okay, yep. I got gotcha. you. Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah, he wasn't quite, wasn't quite good enough to be a Navy pilot, but he was—he <laughs> was an Air Force pilot. And
0: uh,
1: so, uh, <laughs> I'm glad uh, if he ever hears that. <laughs> I don't He's know. A, if, I don't
0: know if he listens, but <laughs> that's funny. Yeah
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I was my, my buddy out there is an Air Force, retired Air Force. And, uh, yeah. We flew the same mission, not the same airplanes. We're both attack pilots, and and uh, so we're always ragging on each other, having a good time.
0: <laughs> Love it. Uh, Well, I'm certainly biased, but obviously I couldn't be, could be happier to hear, hear your thoughts and impressions on the gun. I'm so glad I got, so here's a random question. You sent me a, you sent me a couple lovely photos of you and the dogs in the field and the gun. And in one of the photos, you're wearing a blue plaid shirt. Is that an L.L. Bean shirt? you know what I'm talking about?
1: Well, you're not going
0: to believe this. You're wearing it right now.
1: I got that shirt on right now and (laughs) I am. I just pulled it on and looked at it, and yes, it is. Hello
0: Scotch plaid flannel shirt.
1: Yep, and uh, it is absolutely one of my favorites, believe it or not, one of my favorites. And she <laughs> gave me another one, too. That's It's also in a video that I'm wearing, but uh, she gave me two of them, and I think I'm wearing one or the other throughout most of them on his hunt
0: because they're just so nice yeah you know, so. that's so funny I, I asked because so when you sent me that I didn't think much of it other than I mean I like plaid shirts so I maybe I thought oh that's a nice shirt but I I went and I bought a new shirt I went to L.L. Bean and bought some stuff bought a new pair of jeans and a and a shirt and I picked that shirt out thinking oh I like you know I like the looks of that shirt I'm gonna buy it for myself and I bought it and then Something made me go back to your email, whether we were talking or not, and then I looked, and then it I connected the dots, and I ended up with the same shirt. I just got it last week. Wore, <laughs> I wore it to dinner uh, last weekend, and my wife said it looked great. So I guess I guess our wives share a similar taste, Randy.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, that's so uh, funny. I learned a long time ago. Well, I am. I'm only there's a there's a really major sportwear company out there that sells has big into bird hunting and everything like that, and I'm allowed to shop on that website uh, without parental supervision, but, but (laughs) otherwise, no, I'm not. So, and, you know, my wife actually got into my, my closet here in my den, right. have all my hunting clothes and, uh, she made a mistake. I made a big mistake. First of all, I I didn't lock the door, but she went in there and started counting counting my hunting coats. And, uh, you know, so I've got to stop that. So I get on, I get on that site and I said, Oh man, I gotta have that. (laughs) <laughs> that, pants and everything else you know i am a gear junkie when it comes to bird hunting i yeah I, I, I confess you know i confess but but that's amazing you bought the same shirt
0: yeah you know? yeah super funny yeah it's a shameless plug for the ll bean scotch plaid flannel it is a, it's a damn nice shirt
1: absolutely oh yeah yeah it'll be for years too <laughs> but
0: all right a Co- couple things on the gun so long barrels you obviously went with the barrels you've shot them now you're happy T- talk me through that yeah, right? oh, yeah
1: yeah i could even on with a 30 inch actually right right and it, it probably because i'm you know i'm 6'3 and yeah. uh you got a you long like to 200. pull
0: 15 and a quarter inch i just pulled
1: up your build sheet actually yeah, absolutely yeah and you know i'm i was always i was always adding those uh rubber bumpers mm-hmm. know, yeah back of the and uh you know slip on uh, things the guys go and they got a they've got a really kind of a nasty name for them but But I had to have it for the extra length on these guns. And so uh, that thing just absolutely fits like a dream. And, you know, the cast, I didn't really understand cast on, cast off, Mm -hmm. you know, wax on, wax off. (laughs) So, uh, so, uh, you know, cast on is for left-handed shooters, you know, bend is the stock so that it gets the gun more in line with your eye. And, you know, cast off is for right-handed shooters. And I, I don't know why it's that way. I didn't look into the history of the term, but. But uh, you know, I wanted cast on and uh, well, how much? Well, I don't know, you know. So, uh, you know, I went to a gun I really like and I measured everything on that and it was no cast at all. And so then I started reading articles about what to get, what to get, what to get. I went with a quarter inch yeah. Cast, yeah. On it, cast on it, on and uh, the guy said, whatever you do, if you're going to put cast on a gun, don't put any less than a quarter on. And uh, so, you know, I might have, uh, gotten a little bit more, but, uh, the cast was important. And the cast is what I really think was kind of the key to my better shooting. Yeah. As it, and so, um, and, and, and because I, like I said, those cubbies, you I'm doing the instinct shooting so, so much. And that's when I really started to go, Oh my God, I just got a double. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the testament to the gun. And again, the that purely instinctive shooting, throwing it up and just all all you can all you have time to do is look at the bird and pull the trigger. So if you're dropping those birds, I mean that's that gun fits.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't remember looking down the barrel. Yeah. I don't remember anything. I remember the gun being up on my shoulder, my cheek on the stock. You know, if you like practice that, I yeah. practice that, I practice. And all I remember is staring at the head of the bird. Boom, one down. There's another one. Boom! Another one down. I went. Holy cow! Did I just do that? It used to be a rare thing, but when you start, when you can routinely do a double on a Cubby Rise, you're doing it right. You know, either either that or you're shooting them on the ground. You
0: know? <laughs> right. Yeah. One or the other. Yeah.
1: Which I you know, which I which I do not do. I do not condone. So anyway, it was. A, it's an unashamed plug for your gun, and uh, I just think that I read about the history of the RFM. Mm-hmm. Yep people in italy and and i remember asking you this is back in the heart of covid when i ordered this and i asked you how long is it going to take and and you said well you know and i said <laughs> so uh, but it was right at six months so worth the wait randy oh yeah absolutely yeah absolutely okay. worth the wait and uh you know uh when i get another one and i say when not if and i uh, hope my wife doesn't hear that <laughs> uh i will uh you know i'll just be ready for it yeah so uh you know, I, although I don't know what I want, I just know that if I want one, it's going to be from you guys, but, yeah. um, uh, gun company, but the, uh, you know, this thing just is for what I do, I can do everything I do with this one gun. Totally happy. 28 gauge. Yeah. I was going to say,
0: talk to me about the 28 gauge, knowing that you have, you've been around the block, you've hunted a lot of different birds in a lot of different places. You got a 28 gauge side by side. Talk yeah. to me about what you love about that.
1: Well, I I just you know I started out didn't know what to have and and uh, I that same guy that I took my first dog to rocket I took him up to uh, Tennessee and uh, you know I asked him I said what, what do you hunt with and he said I hunt with a 28 gauge and or a 28 a 20 I'm sorry excuse me 20 gauge yeah and he said I said what about a 12 gauge everybody hunts with and he said Randy 12 gauge on quail is murder serious <laughs> <laughs> as a heart attack he looked me in the eyes yeah. And says, don't ever do that. Went, oh my gosh. And I'm just learning, you know, I, went, oh my God. You know I, I didn't even know what a 16 gauge was that so brought me down to a 20. And, uh, so I got my first gun was a first nice gun. I ordered was a Browning Satori 20 gauge over and under. Yep. And, uh, and I shot the Dickens out of that. I loved it. Uh, and so that was, I just stayed with 20 and then I went to a side by side and, and, you know, we went through all that, but, yep. uh, so I, I just, you know, all my guns are 20s. Uh, so I finally decided, well, I want to try a 28 gauge. So, because I'd heard guys hunting with them. Mm-hmm. My buddy out in Wyoming hunted with it, and my Target buddy hunted with it. And so I said, oh, I'm a, so I went out and bought a really cheap one. Uh, only cost me a couple hundred bucks, maybe, maybe five, six hundred bucks. I bought a cheap one, and it was a straight stock uh, 28 side by side. And I uh, hunted all last year with it, everything and i said i'm just gonna if i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it and i did it of course it wasn't fit for me it wasn't anything and i noticed that i was hitting birds with it just fine yeah. and more birds dying. were lying. more birds were dead when they hit the ground with the 28 than with my 20. Uh, that is a totally subjective statement yeah okay but more birds to my mind were dead when they hit the ground with the 28 than a 20. And I said, well, maybe there's something to this. And I started reading about it, you know, shot string and yep. loads, one ounce and three quarter ounce shot and all that stuff. And, and I didn't get as deep into it as the experts in the magazines. Uh, but I realized that the 28 can do anything a 20 can do. It's much lighter. The, the shells are much smaller. Yep. Uh, and uh, so I started you know, a handful of 20 gauge versus a handful of 28 gauge. Uh, I mean, that makes a difference. It literally makes a difference in what you're lugging around. Uh, and the gun was pounds lighter, maybe a pound lighter, I guess. Yep. Uh, easily a pound lighter. My, now my 20 gauge Fox, you know, that's a pretty light gun, but just the light. sheer mass more, you know, but not much more. Uh, but that was the only gun that I ever toted that was as light as this gun. And, uh, so I decided that, uh, that, that, that little cheap 28 side-by-side, um, uh, really kind of made me want a 28. And that's yeah. what I sent it, you know, that's how I, I came to you and I, with a 28, uh, gauge and, uh, and that's what we ended up with. And that little 28, um, <laughs> that's, that's my go-to gun. Pretty darn uh, capable. It is very capable. I shot, I shot, uh, sharp tail grass, prairie chicken, pheasant, uh, you know, Bob White, Mern's Quill, uh, shot, uh, rough grouse and woodcock. Yeah. Woodcock. Yeah. I shot woodcock with it easily, yeah. easily. And the good thing about this gun is now I can open up the chokes. Uh, my other guns are all fixed chokes. So yeah. And you with got this the one. I, yep, the yep. with chokes, I can go ahead and put, uh, you know, cylinder and cylinder in there. Mm-hmm. To yep. Uh, I ended up with the whale, believe it or not, I ended up with improved and modified. Okay. Uh, and, Tried everything. I, I went out there trying to shoot these with with open chokes, and no, that ain't gonna work. Really, these birds are too far out, too far out, too fast. And uh, so I went ahead and closed up the choke some, and then that's when I started having uh, a lot more success. Uh, improved and uh, modified, and you know, a lot of guns come with improved and modified. Yeah, that's just, and you know, I guess there's a reason for it. Yeah, I it's, just yeah, it's kind of the it.
0: default. Yep.
1: Oh yeah. So. Yeah. Field trialing. Uh, yeah. Open chokes, but, uh, I shoot open choke 20 gauge, but, um, but no bird hunting. Nah, that just, you got, there's just not enough shot there to be, be doing that. Uh, with those birds, they will not give you any chance. Yeah. So.
0: Briefly, what shot sizes shooting out of the 28 gauge different species what's your thought process there and i I mean i know you can it's a rabbit hole here but just generally speaking what do you like for shot size payloads etc
1: yeah it is but uh i gotta tell you i made it simple for myself and i ended up shooting uh on on the bigger birds the prairie chickens the sharp tails and even the pheasant i shot six shot number sixes and uh because uh you know for the for the sharps and the, and the chickens, uh, it doesn't take too many shots of mm-hmm. those size shots to knock them down. And the pheasant, you got to get a little bit more on the bird. Right. Uh, but uh, but it worked. It worked fine. And, and I, I proved it in South Dakota this year. But uh, for the quail, I closed the chokes down a little, like I said. But I also went to, I uh, started out shooting sixes. But I dropped it back down to seven and a halfs and even eights. And uh, I depended on my dogs. I did wound, I did break a lot of wings and, 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 and not have a lot of dead birds. But I had to get the birds on the ground. And uh, my dogs were good enough to where they could, they could recover them. And uh, I would say probably um, nearly 100% of the sharp tail and the prairie chickens and the pheasant were dead when they hit the ground. I would say high 90%. But uh, the quail, Uh, I needed to have more shot in the air and when I went down to an eight shot, I had significantly more shot in the air and um, the ones that weren't dead, my dogs were good enough to pick up. Um, And, and, and that saved the day. If I was going to start losing birds, I don't think I lost maybe, I think in two weeks of hunting quail out there, I don't think I lost maybe two birds. Yeah. My dog, and I would stay there. I would stand there, right? you know, and and not chase singles until we recovered the birds. And it w- it might be five minutes. It might be 10 minutes, mm-hmm. but the dogs would pick. And I'd make them come in. I'd water them. You know, they'd be wanting to go after, you know, I'd be calling them back in, calling them back in. And finally, I'd hold them. yeah. And I'd water them, and we'd sit there until their tongue went back in their mouth. And then I'd say, hunt dead, dead bird, dead bird, make them find it. And uh, sometimes that bird was 20 yards away. From where I thought it would be, you know. Yeah. But they it up so, so that's that's what I do. Uh, I think if, uh, you know, you know your dogs, and you know, uh, I'm a big believer in that saying, you know, preserve game, use a trained dog. Yeah. Um. Uh. Big believer in that. Um. But um, I think if I had to knock them down, and I was in a position where I was going to have to kill the quail, especially those wild quail, I would go to sixes. I definitely would. Yeah. Yeah. Or seven and a half, no smaller than seven and a half.
0: That's that's cool. I uh, the listeners will know I I love the all the Michael McIntosh shotguns and shooting books, and he 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 was a big fan of the twenty eight, and he wrote a lot in there, and um, kind of sort of in line with what you're saying. He was he caution I know he cautioned readers to as you go down in gauge and bore size, so you go down to the twenty eight. You want to be very careful about increasing the pellet size and if i recall correctly six shot was about as big a shot as he wanted to shoot out of that small bore and Mm -hmm. you you go down too much or you go too big in shot size your pellet count drops you got a small bore your pattern efficiency is not the same so six shot was kind of and then anywhere you can go down in shot size and increase and put more shot in the air as you were saying that's where the 28 gauge really starts to shine
1: yeah well that's interesting you would say that yeah and uh, one thing though, a rough grouse, small shot's fine. That's a really tender bird. Yep. Really, really tender. They're, they are very, very fragile. Yep. And um I think even woodcock are tougher than a rough grouse. <laughs> Truly.
0: I don't I don't I don't you know, know if I've I've ever drawn that conclusion, but I will <laughs> I w- well I mean I will say I don't think too much. I I've shot a lot of seven and a half in the grouse woods. And this year I finally yeah. proved to myself that there's really, I mean, this year I shot only eight and a half and eight shot all season long. Yeah. And absolutely. I, I saw, you know, no difference, at least equal or if not better performance out of that. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly, exactly what I determined. I, and I didn't realize that grouse were so fragile until, right. you know, when I first started hunting them, uh, you know, when they're back in the '90s, when the 40 flush days were not uncommon. Yeah, you know, I realized that you could you can shoot nine shot with these guys; it'd probably work. You know, yeah. uh, but uh, you got to wait for days when the leaves are off and uh, to do that. So, to, you know, you can shoot nine shot through a leafy tree, and none of them is going to make it to the other side. So,
0: doesn't take much to slow them down.
1: No, it sure doesn't.
0: Yeah, we're going to wrap up here briefly, but I wanted to ask you a little bit. Oh, this has been a blast. I'm we'll we'll have to have you back on the podcast at some point, Randy. But I wanted to talk oh, to absolutely. you about grouse hunting, and and we'll we'll save most of that for a for another day. But I did. Uh, I watched I'd seen this probably about a year ago, but I rewatched your, your grouse hunt from Wisconsin last year. And I, I had forgot about, but was reminded of what you referred to as the bathing incident, where you tried to jump across a puddle and took a, took a nice spill and you, uh, you obviously have a good sense of humor. So you left, you <laughs> left that in the video for us all to see.
1: <laughs> oh, I did. I did. And I told my guy I was on with Josh who was, laugh- was laughing so hard he <laughs> First of all he was shocked. He didn't know if I was gonna come up all mad or anything. But yep, he came out yep. of the water. I said, Go on, take a picture Go on, take a picture. <laughs> yeah. So I wish I actually kinda of wish he had. I would have loved to have had that picture of me coming out of the water with my gun underwater. That would have been a good
0: one. <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh, yeah, right at twenty two minutes in that video, by the way, if anybody <laughs> wants to look at it. Yeah. So. yeah. Oh, but yeah, that, uh, yeah, they got a YouTube channel, uh, bird hunters thoughts. And then of course, my blog, a bird hunters thoughts.com and a uh, YouTube channel. Uh, I already said that podcast, uh, bird hunters thoughts and, uh, turn them loose. Um, uh, and, um, but anyway, I try to do video blogs, but I, I, I don't know how many people watch video blogs. I guess they do if you're, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't watches them. But anyway, I mean,
0: <laughs> well, the two so books and Endless it, October. I, I, what what made you? What made you want to start? Ca- you know, were you a big journal log note taker? What made you want to start capturing some of this stuff and put it out there?
1: My wife made me want to do it. Okay. <laughs> she said, "She said, Randy, you write so well, and you love to tell stories, which is both true. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about the writing, but telling stories. I do, and I've had log books going since nineteen ninety two. Okay and uh she's bought me these leather log books now i mean i'm really high i'm really high dollar oh. logbook now but i used to i mean i've got scraps and notes on that's cool. on everything I've got them you know and they're all just here and and you know i don't I've, I've got the mind that i do not need to look back in my logbook i can remember and josh that guy i was hung with that saw me fall in the yep. portal, he, he said, how do you remember that? When I did the, I did a podcast about it, or I wrote a story about it, about us, uh, in Wisconsin. And at the end of the hunt, I described the entire hunt and it was a chapter in my book and how we were on the tailgate drinking, uh, an adult beverage. And some guys drove by and they joined us and another couple joined us and a logger came by and he joined us pretty soon. We had a party. Oh, that's so cool. And, right there in the Wisconsin grouse woods. <laughs> and I was just laughing. I just couldn't, I just, you know, I was just still shaking my head how that happened. And then the whiskey ran out and everybody disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> just,
0: just like, like that, that, they were gone. Again. They vanished in the night.
1: <laughs> and so I ended up putting a story in my book about it. I think I entitled it whiskey, but uh, Josh asked me, how do you remember all that? And I said, Josh, I don't know, but I've got that memory. You know, I can't remember what I was going to do when I was headed to the kitchen, but I can remember on a bird hunt, everything, everything. Yeah. And, uh, so I have all these stories in my mind and the two, the endless October was another friend of mine. He said, this is what you ought to do. You ought ought to just say that. What's your favorite month. And just, you, I just, I just want that month to be forever, you know? So endless October was the first book. And, uh, I think "Endless October" season two, which is the catchy name, I think. Uh, with, uh, speaking uh, that, I, I really think that's probably a better effort. But um, the uh, but both books are basically just me hunting. They're all true. Yeah. There's one story in this fiction, and I'm careful to label it uh, and about And it's about an old guy and his dog. So I don't know how untrue it could be, but it's it's something that actually didn't happen. I made it up. Uh, but I did label that. And it's a story about being attacked by a moose when I was growing up in Alaska too, but otherwise they're wow. all about, about bird hunting. Yeah. And so, and I guess I've got another one coming out. She's, she, she basically told me, you know, that you really need to write this stuff down. And so I said, nobody cares about it. I mean, they're all hunters. They've done this stuff. And she said, well, you'd be surprised. So, um, I did it It's self-published, uh, Kindle Direct Publishing, and okay. um, you know, a lot of it's amateurish, I think, but it, it's basically the stories are sound because they actually happen, and uh, yeah. you know, there's a couple in there. There's one I wrote that I can't even read today without bawling my eyes oh, out. Oh boy! And of course, it's about my best bird dog, you know, when he passes away. Yeah. But you got to have, you know, that's part of it. You, you know your dogs. My gosh, they're all gonna die, mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately, you know, my, you know, they it happens. And so I keep it private now, but in that one, I wrote about it. And, uh, I actually I even did a, uh, podcast. I read the story and I think I did it on my YouTube channel. Hmm. I did. Uh, I actually read the story and towards the end there is one. of you'll see there, I cut out, I cut out, I cut out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. then I come back to it because I just can't read my own story. Yeah. Uh, so, but anyway, I encourage you all to take a look at that if you get a chance. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, very cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. And yeah, a bird hunter's thoughts—kind of—that's the HQ. Most stuff can be found there. And the the books are. Podcast listeners always appreciate this. The books are on Audible. You can listen to them.
1: Yeah, both of them are Audible, and and I'm the one that uh, and I go
0: ahead and do these. Excellent.
1: And I do the narration and, you know, I fumble around occasionally, but, but you can get
0: through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I might have to, I got some audible credits to use, I think. So I think there <laughs> yeah, might be oh, some right. endless October in my future, Andy.
1: That'd be awesome. That would be awesome.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate you taking some time to join us on the Birdshot podcast. This has been an absolute blast, and uh, my pleasure, and obviously fun to fun to hear your report about about the gun, and and that was a cool spark to this conversation. But I really appreciate that. I'm I'm happy for you, and uh, yeah, can't thank you enough, Randy. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's
1: been it's been awesome. So um, yeah, anytime, anytime. Appreciate it. Well, hang
0: on for just a second. That does it for this episode of the Birdshot Podcast. We'll catch everybody on the next
1: episode.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast.